Welcome back to uh, Middle School Music, uh, episode four of season three. I'm informed by my good friend and co-host, Dario Duet. Dario, how are you doing today? Yeah, we're live and in stereo. No, we're not live and, and we're still not in stereo, but uh, I'm good, man. It's good to be back. It's been, what, two months? God, yeah, we, we did take a bit of an extended summer break uh, from recording. Uh, lots been going on uh, over kind of, I think the... I don't know if it's safe to say the end of the British lockdown um, post-COVID as things start to open up again uh, here in the UK. Uh, how's your summer been? Yeah, it's been all right. It's been good, actually. Uh, just a bit of a pity with the sudden change in weather. I kind of feel like, wow, uh, end of August and boom, we're really hitting uh, downhill here. Uh, the lack of sunlight is, is starting to, to approach fast. But nonetheless, it's been great, man. Uh, had a chance... Dude. If weather change is one of your biggest concerns, I think you're doing all right in the world. <laughs> you're very right. You're very, very right. That's true. That's true. Considering everything else that everybody else is kind of going through. I mean, I know um, you, you're you a big, or at least were a big kind of festival goer and things like that. How's it been without kind of having music festivals this summer uh, to experience? Yeah, it's good. I personally think I was walking the other day and I thought to myself, my Spotify stats for the end of year review this year are going to be almost like double last year, which I thought mm. was probably impossible because the amount of music I'm consuming on a daily basis, even just because you're working from home uh, and, and is, is crazy. However, as we kind of pointed out before, new music is, uh, is a bit scarce. Yeah, that's an interesting quite, I mean, you know, kind of thought because I wondered the contrast between you and my kind of Spotify stats and increase, decrease, because I think mine will drop because, yeah, while I mean, while we still listen to music on weekends, during the mornings, whatever else as well, um, you know, I don't have that commute, right? So that 40 minute everyday commute, but also in between meetings, you know, traveling, you know, all of those were times that I would spend listening to more music, right? I mean, even just the commute in to kind of record our podcast with you on Fridays, you know, meant that I was kind of jamming a lot of uh, New Music Friday uh, into into my Spotify on yeah. those Fridays. And I haven't been able to do that as much or pay enough attention uh, to it as much as I would have liked over the summer. So I, I can see mine kind of dipping a bit. And it, it's probably, a, you know, kind of an, partially an age thing, partially a stage of life thing in terms of how much music you consume during this kind of period. Definitely. But I also have found... Uh... Yeah, I mean, you're right. On the New Music Friday thing, I, first thing I do, I wake up and I'm like, ooh, New Music Friday. Let me just check on my phone or I walk to the gym or something. But definitely a uh, kind of stage of life dependent on other factors that are that are involved. Um, but nonetheless, I'm glad that we're back and we've got the opportunity to to kind of rift off on on what's happening in the space. Considering it's been two months, I think quite a lot has happened. Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, kind of catching up prior to the recording. Um, I don't know if maybe Farhan is anything in particular you really want to focus on. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, neither of us being uh, black or being, you know, kind of American uh, doesn't mean that we've been kind of able to ignore, or able to avoid the whole Black Lives Matter kind of movement, um, as well as kind of the racial injustice and violence uh, in the US. That's been really kind of Difficult for me um, as kind of somebody who has a lot of friends in the U.S. and and in Canada and kind of seeing it from this side of the world. Um, that's been tough. Um, there has been a lot of music 
uh, released as well as kind of music made to kind of curate and to, to, to navigate or to um, discuss kind of stuff happening. You know, we, we saw things like the J. Cole No Name uh, issue kind of earlier on um, up until, you know, just recently, um, you know, I heard a remix of Public Enemies Fight the Power uh, that has Nas, Black Thought, and a couple of other young and coming, up and coming uh, rap artists um, with kind of good old Flavor Flav still in the background, still rocking the big clock. Um, and that was really, really interesting to kind of see um, older musicians and older artists and older songs being reinvented for the modern age. It's, it's slightly a shame that 30 years on, you know, Fight the Power um, still has to have as much of a meaning to that community now as it did, did, you know, kind of all those years ago as one of Spike Lee's first movies um, as the soundtrack to that. Uh, so, yeah, so I think to me, that's been the biggest thing, um, you know, kind of the, the death of Chadwick Boseman as well, the, the Black Panther meant that we were revisiting that movie and then revisiting that soundtrack uh, that Kendrick curated as well, which is an amazing soundtrack. Um, I believe it's probably, you know, one of the best soundtracks in the last 20 or 30 years easy. Mm -hmm. um, and Kendrick Lamar did an awesome job on that. And, you know, kind of revisiting that has been a lot of fun, um, even though it's under sad you know, kind of conditions. Um, but yeah, that's been, that's been a couple of the things kind of that I've been busy with. What about you? What's, what's kind of been your kind of enjoyment or your kind of highlights or even, you know, kind of what you've noticed over the summer music period? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just to kind of echo your, your thoughts uh, 100%, um, I think it's great to see that they're using the, that, that artists are using the platform um, to, to express themselves and to drive a movement, um, a much needed movement in a time where, where change uh, is, is much needed. Um, I think in terms of music over the summer, like we've was covered in some of our previous episodes, distribution has been different. And new music, I wouldn't say quality, but the cadence of new music releases has definitely been affected by the lack of touring opportunities, mm. as well as just the, the lack of opportunities, I would say, for people to be in public places and enjoy festive music or music that's kind of appropriate to, to that event, um, whether it be a festival, a restaurant, or even just an outdoor bar or a birthday party for that matter which is why we've seen historically people tend to be gravitating more towards older music. Um, now, something which particularly piqued my interest was a comment that Daniel Ek, the CEO of Spotify made. Um, it was around the end of July, beginning of August, where he criticized, he was, well, he said that it's not enough for artists to release albums every three to four years. And, you know, received quite a lot of backlash for that. Spotify is still in its growth phase. So uh, from a finance perspective, uh, you know, people are trying to find ways to justify an investment to the stock over the long run. And he's still trying to, to, you know, justify that the model works. From a musician's point of view, I kind of feel like they were maybe a little bit heavy handed um, in their response, but that's for a very interesting debate, which I thought would be a perfect opportunity for us to talk about today. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of nuance in his kind of uh, comments, right, or, or quote. And I think, you know, they, they do need a lot of nuance. And maybe we can kind of chat through that and kind of express some of the ideas. Because I do think there was a germ of truth in what he was saying. But I don't think, like, it's, it's fair to kind of, like, um, broad brush artists, you know, and, and kind of give them all the same... 
um, kind of sense of what they need to do from a music release perspective, right? Because I think when he says artists, you know, when he says that it wasn't enough for artists to record, you know, it's really different if you can compare and contrast somebody who's got a huge back catalog, you know, somebody like a Madonna versus somebody like a Dua Lipa, right? They're going to have very, very different kind of back catalogs and how much music they're releasing. And it's funny if you tie that back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, kind of the way music's being distributed and released and all of that and older catalogs. You know, we saw that, as I mentioned, with Black Panther, but we also, you know, have been playing a lot more of the Hamilton soundtrack with Hamilton coming on to Disney Plus uh, really recently. And so we've been playing a lot of the Hamilton soundtrack. And then you throw in something like a, a Beyonce uh, with her Disney Plus tie and with Black is King and, you know, kind of seeing that as, um, you know, more than just an album, but a visual representation of that yeah. and almost like cinema alongside an album release. Um, so that is very, very different, I think, to, you know, somebody like Billie Eilish or Dua Lipa or even some of the other young up and coming rap or hip hop or, you know, other kind of genres of music, whereas people are trying to kind of establish themselves. How, how did you kind of take his comments? Yeah, totally. I think, oh man, I could talk about this for so long. So let's try and keep this episode a reasonable length. Um, I think it really focuses on social engagement, which is something you and I have discussed previously, which is that, and, and you're very right, it depends on the almost era in which you as an artist were established or became or have started to become established. So the likes of artists in today's environment uh, who have grown up with the social platforms that maybe someone else 20 years ago didn't have, uh, will will need to exploit those platforms, whether it be TikTok, Instagram, whatever it may be. It's inconsequential here. The, the fact of the matter is that that social engagement is what drives popularity, which inevitably gets people to listen to their music. Now, the creative process has changed and song duration has changed and people are starting to build their songs around these platforms, etc. But a good example you know, can't take anything away from them, to be fair, is Takashi 69 who, you know, received a huge amount of criticism for being a snitch based on what's happened in, in uh, kind of in his gang-related case, uh, leaves, leaves prison, gets released on house arrest, releases a song, breaks a YouTube record for the biggest 24-hour debut in hip-hop, which the previous record was held by Eminem. He also breaks the Instagram Live record with 2 million views as he defends his decision to speak to the feds. And this helps to prime the pump for greater views and exposure in terms of music consumption and inevitably trickles down into his pockets. Now, sure, you're not comparing like with like when you're comparing someone's music such as Takashi 69 versus Madonna or Kendrick Lamar for that matter. But I think it's interesting that you raised Kendrick Lamar earlier in terms of the Black Panther soundtrack because there's rumor that, you know, he's shooting a new video in LA and prior to lockdown, he had this PG Lang initiative which is almost a good segue going into the summer tour. Yeah. Um, someone like Kendrick Lamar hasn't released an album for what is now almost, uh, what, uh, th just over three years? And the cadence of his album releases is particularly long. So he has long album cycles, uh, something which I believe Dr. Dre influenced him in doing. Now, that's not, Rihanna's the same. I mean, when, did, when last did Rihanna release an album? 2017, I think? Yeah, but Rihanna's, Rihanna's a little bit of a different case just because I think, I don't know if we'll ever see another Rihanna album. Like, I mean, I think she's kind of decided that from a music perspective, her 
efforts are going to be more around her fashion and her mm -hmm. kind of like other accessory type businesses. Yeah, right? you're right. You're right. And, and so there, the exposure helps. So let's yeah. okay, let's stick with the Kendrick narrative, right? I mean, yeah. he doesn't really do anything well that much in comparison to someone like Rihanna uh, from a ex brand exposure point of view uh, in terms of that 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 scale. Nevertheless. Uh, you know, rumor has it that he's going to release a new album, he's shooting for a new video, and the internet goes nuts. And I can guarantee you that when that album or that song does drop, his level of exposure and his engagement will be just as high as a new age artist today. Um, you know, so I don't necessarily agree with the three to four year cadence being too long, but it, it, I do believe that artists of a previous era do need to adjust for the new market dynamic. Anyway, I've spoken a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the, the interesting angle on the Rihanna and, um, you know, kind of Kendrick narrative is also like how many of these artists are kind of like parlaying some early success into other monetization opportunities, right? So when we see uh, Rihanna turn her celebrity into, okay, I'm going to start doing fashion and accessories and whatnot, but then we also see Kendrick kind of experimenting on these things. I think the other thing to realize is that, you know, lifestyle will probably dictate or people's kind of artistry might kind of play a, a role in how they live their lives, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I look at an artist like Snoop, who's got a huge back catalog, who kind of does deals for reality TV and then does some commercials as well. Um, he's kind of come on board with some, you know, kind of online, I think it's Just Eat that is a competitor to, you know, kind of brands like DoorDash, Deliveroo, Uber Eats, um, and is a, is a really big, big uh, organization, especially in Europe. Uh, they have a huge, huge market cap uh, from a European perspective. Now, you know, I look at that and I look at Snoop and I think, you know, what he's doing is basically parlaying back catalog into giving him, you know, other forms of revenue. Now, I wonder, you know, because of streaming revenue, all of that, if Snoop does an, an additional album, how much incremental revenue, how much incremental earnings does he get over doing like a one week ad for just eat, right? Where he's maybe on, on site for one day of recording a video, recording a short commercial. And in the same way with Kendrick, I know Kendrick did uh, a short video, a short film uh, around the life of Kobe Bryant uh, recently as well. So you can see that to me, there's a variety of different kind of artistic approaches mm -hmm. beyond just the album that artists are doing in order to kind of monetize their brand, monetize their, um, their kind of impact and monetize their creativity in other ways, right? So whether it's, you know, being that creative and turning it into other products, whether it is leveraging your brand and kind of pushing it for other brands and services, or whether it's saying, okay, you know, I'm perfectly happy, you know, I don't need 10 Bentleys, I'm perfectly good with three Mercedes and a Range Rover and having like, a nice size home and now I don't need to kind of make new music because my last tour is still kind of holding me up and I can retire in a reasonable way off the back of that and I'm going to kind of curate and do things that are reasonable that are going to give me earning but I don't need to kind of have a, a global world tour maybe I'm not ever going to get the ability to go on a global world, world tour again so it's really interesting to see how artists have to supplement you know what would have been touring income and record sales but because touring has kind of gone off a cliff and record sales have been replaced by pittance through streaming, right? Either artists change the way they live or they change the way they earn. Yeah, I think it's a great point. 
I think it's a really great point. Uh, you know, there's the, the other side of this argument, which is, you know, music is a creative process and something which can't be rushed. Mm. I think, you know, you, you hit onto that point where some artists will leverage their celebrity uh, to or their craft to generate revenue throughout the streams. Um, and others, someone, let's take 50 Cent, for example, who got out of the music, well, significantly reduced his involvement in the music industry on the back of the climate changing and upside that sat in other forms of media um, mm -hmm. with successful shows such as Power, etc. cetera. Um, I think, you know, you've, you've got someone like Taylor Swift who, you know, released Folklore. Yeah. And, and that was very much unexpected. But that being said, it did create a big, I mean, actually, you know, talking of Taylor Swift, I don't know why, Kanye West just sprung to mind. Uh, you know, him as an example, like the amount of, I don't know, that's a whole other story. Actually. Yeah, we but, could do a whole deep dive on Kanye alone. I mean, just sticking to the, the, the um, uh, Donda example, you know, as a recent event when he mentioned that Donda, his album would be released, released a track list, said he was working with Dr. Dre album doesn't come out people are still going nuts i'll tell you this much if kanye releases an album nothing will blow up irrespective of how much negative publicity or whatever publicity you want to give them negative positive whatever however you want to define it depends on what side of the spectrum you're sitting on um so yeah i mean x comments is interesting but i don't i don't disagree and i think you take someone like eminem as an interesting example mm -hmm. Wait, typically would wait like three years, four years to release an album. Release Revival was a complete flop. And they had to come back and hit the industry hard and quickly and has been releasing albums almost with a 12-month cadence, 12 to 16-month cadence. Uh, as an artist who's probably one of the only artists to still survive from the 2000s era and sit at the level that he's at. Uh, you know, whether you, whether you like the music or not, point being is, is that even an artist of that caliber has still had to adjust for the new norm in the industry. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Like, I mean, we're, we're lumping together artistry, but at the same time, it's very different from a recording artist and a songwriter. Totally. A songwriter who kind of puts their time and energy into their craft and wants to kind of write an album's worth of music, right, and then kind of release that. And, you know, like we, we were talking earlier about the reemergence of rock as a category. You know, I think you do get kind of different, um, you know, kind of incentives or different kind of like, I guess, insights or your kind of different caliber of time spent and energy spent when you are an artist like or a band like R.E.M., right, mm -hmm. who's spent a lot of time and energy, you know, kind of putting into their craft early on. You know, and if you compare that, to somebody who is still an artist, but is really somebody who is a performance artist, right? Who's taking other people's songs. Maybe they write occasionally, maybe they co-write, but really they have like a whole gambit of writers that they work with. So they see a lot more and they're able to, to record more, which is what gets me back to my original point around, you know, I think it's really, really hard to kind of broad brush and paint all of these artists with the same kind of brush and say, you know, you've got to all release music more, you know, kind of frequently, because I just don't think that's true of every artist. Maybe if you're a performance artist, maybe if you're a recording artist, maybe if you don't make the money from the songwriting credit as well, 
and all you're making money from is the streaming, then you do need to think of other creative outlets. But if you're a songwriter, right, it's like you said, like you, you can't kind of rush that kind of inspiration. I mean, I always laugh that a number of, you know, the Beatles classics or the Beatles songs or even, you know, other songs by Bob Dylan and, and other kind of classic songwriters, they talk about having them written in like 10 minutes, right? Where they get like a, I think it's like a Paul McCartney who talks about like yesterday being written in like 15 minutes because he woke up with the melody in his head or something like that. And it's like, yeah, but that also took like 30 years of building that kind of backbone, that experience, that yeah. knowledge, how to play the music, how the music should sound together. So it's like, you know, kind of a 30 year window to kind of get an overnight success. And for a lot of these artists, you, you don't have the same amount of time and energy that you can put into it. So maybe they have to find other ways to engage with their audiences or other ways to make money. Yeah, no, you, 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 you're totally right. It's actually a really good point. And also to be fair, like, X comments technically can be compared directly to a record label. Yeah. I mean, back, you know, not so long ago, I can't say back in the day, not so long ago. And even still to this day, even after watching a couple interviews with, with big Sean about the 2088 release, I mean, Def Jam was not keen for him to put that out. Oh, it's attracting you away from putting out a new album. Oh, it's attract, you know, it's not going to go down well with fans, blah, 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 blah. Or on the contrary, in the past, you've heard countless examples of artists being pressured by labels, put the music out, get the album done, get the album done, rush the process. And, and, Digital distribution models and streaming platforms should uh, they actually allow and encourage freedom with your creative process and freedom to release when you want to release. Yeah. Um, an artist such as Russ, who I'd love to talk about in a whole separate episode, mm-hmm. has just left Columbia. I mean, excellent strategy. Goes into, he's independent, joins Columbia, gets a bit of exposure, jumps off Columbia, completely owns all of his music, makes solid earning from an industry which is renowned for, as you say, paying pittance. Mm. And uh, releases his own music when he wants to. Releases a song a week at the moment. It's been fantastic. Releasing old stuff, new stuff, whatever he wants to do. And uh, that's technically, in my opinion, what the streaming era actually provides. You know? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to kind of compare and contrast an artist like Russ to an artist like Drake, right? Mm. Who also you'll find in kind of the song charts right now you know, kind of releasing new music and, you know, has his videos and has production value, um, you know, and has kind of built out his own kind of legacy and his own kind of, you know, status and whatnot, right? And if we compare and contrast, you know, from like how much earnings, right? And what, you know, they're able to get outside of music. Because I think, you know, Drake from a marketability perspective from, you know, kind of his, I think he's got like some kind of production deal with Nike now, and things like that. And you compare that to Russ, who's just going to make the money off the music for now. Yeah. And, and I think it's really interesting to see how different artists are parlaying, you know, kind of music. So Russ, I think, has to release, you know, a song a week, right? Yeah, because uh, if all he's doing is relying on music for his income, right, he's got to do that. Whereas an artist like Drake can kind of release a song every now and then, see it kind of blow up on TikTok, you know, structure a deal with a company like Nike and live off not just his music, but parlay his music into other deals as well. And I think you're seeing that kind of spectrum of on one end, an artist who lives purely off streaming revenue. And on the other end, an artist who is building their own persona and needs their kind of drops of music in the same way that Supreme or other kind of products are going to release drops to get Mm -hmm. people excited, but then to also kind of do their back catalog and other things as well. 
It's a good point. I mean, you can't, as you said, you can't lump all artists together in one box because they're just so many d- different artists. And something I will admit was, and I guess the benefits of lockdown, I was going through charts of kind of the top hits of every year for the past 20 years. Well, okay. Yeah. And I always have had this narrative or this idea that I've always enjoyed the older days when labels controlled the narrative of artists. But when going through the 20 years, the patterns and, in my opinion, the quality of music, not necessarily on a song-by-song basis, but just artists, was not near as cool or good as what I'm able to listen to and access on Spotify. So I started then going down this other rabbit hole on Spotify where I've noticed that there are these almost cultural hubs that artists have, or packs that artists have started to create where they're then independent artists or maybe smaller scale artists or whatever. And maybe they've paid for a once off feature with a certain artist or I don't know, they've met, yeah. but they start to build these groups where they all start to collab with one another and that's building their reputation. And you know, the, the, the kind of long tail is actually starting to change. Um, and I just think the quality or the opportunity for exposure to different sounds and qualities of music um, is is actually enhanced and, and a far more enjoyable environment from a consumption perspective today as it was back then. Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting kind of thought. I mean, I do think you did have these kind of like packs of artists who would do features on each other's albums or you know pass songs along. And I don't think that's necessarily just a twenty-year phenomenon, right? Like, yeah. there's been books written on the whole Motown um, kind of emergence and how you know songwriters would have a song in mind for one particular boy band or girl group or solo artist. Um, and then that solo artist or that boy group or whatever it is, not necessarily feeling that song and then it becoming a hit for another boy band or whatnot. So you saw the, that kind of group emergence um, where kind of songwriters would write and kind of share music and whatever. And I think that kind of converted into labels, kind of seeing label mates as kind of touring partners or whatever else on that front. And then you saw these kind of packs and clicks, right? When it came to, to hip hop, when it came to, you know, kind of um, the emergence of R and B and, you know, kind of R and B and hip hop and rap music in the eighties, nineties and early two thousands as well. I mean, I would say up until the young money kind of group. And now, you know, I think it's kind of gone heavily kind of cross-cultural as well. So you can see uh, artists in, you know, kind of some of the reggaeton, uh, for example, sector, you know, kind of crossing over with hip hop artists, you know, like uh, Black Eyed Peas or pop artists like Dua Lipa doing songs with reggaeton artists as well. And I think that emergence has kind of something that, that we'll continue to see where things are kind of crossing genres uh, significantly. Um, and you, I mean, look, man, people aren't touring so they can experiment, right? Yeah. People are at home and we've found this in our day jobs right? Where we kind of end up meeting a lot more companies or we end up talking a lot more with specific people or doing a lot more meetings. My take is that it's probably happening in the music industry as well, right? Where artists have their own studios in home or whatever. Somebody sends them a track, they're not touring. They're able to lay a verse. They're able to help a remix. They're able to do a guest spot. And so you're seeing a lot more of that creativity and genres crossing over now more than ever before, I think. Yeah, I agree. And you've seen some artists really take advantage of that. But then you get the other side of it, like Three Stacks, Andre 3000, 
has said that blatantly that he has not put music out and is reluctant to put music out because this era of cancel culture and keyboard warriors make him frightened because he'll just get criticized for it. And I think mental health, mental health in the music industry is a whole nother kind of topic, right? Like when you think about that Andre 3000 thing, that really broke my heart when he's talking about his anxiety around releasing new music. Like, you know, if there wasn't social media, would we have seen a few more, you know, Andre 3000 albums? And if you compare and contrast that to, you know, his outcast, um, you know, kind of mate with Big Boy, who's released countless independent music and is doing the total opposite. It's just such an interesting contrast in the same group. I know, I know. And, and, and that's the thing. It's, I mean, hey, we've even had it, I mean, partially yeah. with wanting to release episodes and being reluctant. I mean, you're putting yourself out there, essentially being a bit vulnerable. I know he's probably more comfortable with, which is, you know, gets back to the X point, which is uh, uh, some are more comfortable with the new environment than others. Some will yeah. adapt, some will not. Depends what the team you have behind you. On that note, because we could talk about this for ages. Yes. What have you been listening to and what's interesting you at the moment? So, I mean, it's kind of like a barbell strategy for me. I've been listening to, you know, kind of trying to get my head around kind of new music Friday when I can, um, but still kind of listening to, to new music um, as much as I, I can. You know, there's a couple of Burna Boy tracks and, you know, the whole kind of uh, entrepreneur with Pharrell and Jay-Z was yeah. interesting. I didn't necessarily think it lived up to what it could have been. Um, also kind of listening to... Uh, Jaden Smith's new album as well. So I've been playing around and listening to that a, a bit. Uh, he's got a track with Justin Bieber, which I think is hilarious considering they did that Karate Kid kind of track years and years ago. Um, so to see them as kind of young adults, you know, still making music together, I thought was quite, quite interesting. It's and then you, you kind of compare and contrast that with stuff, you know, from, you know, from before I was born, if not like 30 years before I was born. So I've been like listening to some Rat Pack stuff. So gotten into listening to some Sammy Davis Jr. and some Frank Sinatra and, and stuff like that as well. So that's been my mix for at least the last couple of weeks. What about you? What have you been listening to? Very, very cool. I have been listening to all sorts. I'd say I've been really listening to a lot of 80s rock and roll. Hmm. Uh, a lot of kind of Motley Crue, um, and, and the iterations of that. So kind of new age stuff like Velvet Revolver, um, Slash and Miles Kennedy, um, who I would say is the only real champion of that type of, of, of rock and roll in today's modern times uh, with the two most, kind of three most recent albums. Um, and, and that's something I'd really like to talk about in a future episode. Um, I think... Uh, that music's been great. I have, I have dabbled in, in New Music Fridays, haven't really been impressed with really anything, to be fair. Calvin Harris released a track with The weekend. thought that was average. Dua Lipa's Missy Elliott Madonna thing was average. I know Big Sean released Detroit 2 today with a ton of features. I just thought it was average. I don't know. I, I believe, I, I've got a hunch that a lot of the real... I don't know whether you call it upbeat club tracks, whatever it is, are being held back because there's no opportunity to release them and, or it's limited, uh, particularly in the United States. And when it comes from a revenue perspective, if I'm sitting as an artist and I have these banger tracks that I want to put out, I'm not going to release it if I'm not going to be able to make that much money from it. Well, everyone going to sit at their home and listen to it? No. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I think, you know, the mental health side, but also just the exposure and experience side, I wonder, you know, we'd lo- I'd love to talk to an artist or talk to a songwriter, but 
how much a role actually going to a club plays in making club music, right? It's like, if you're not in that environment, can you sing about that environment? Can you produce music for that environment? So I wonder if it is, uh, you know, they're sitting on this kind of back catalog or sitting on this kind of, you know, kind of back waiting kind of to, to release stuff that they can tour with or they can headline festivals on, or if they're just unable to make as much of the music because of, you know, kind of the, the fact that they have been locked down or, or other things like that, right? Like, no. I, I really don't know which, which one's the true case. And I guess hopefully we'll find out over the next year, uh, which it was. Like, if summer of 2021 is filled with bangers, you know, is it because people have been sitting on it or is it because they just, they just haven't been inspired? I think it will be. I think we're going to see a big bounce back with provided that this virus doesn't mutate further and we get through the winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, I, I think we'll see a huge resurgence in the concert space. Um, I think it will provide a great platform for people to really put new music out. I mean, I, this Lady Gaga's Chromatica popped to mind because she released that now and delayed it initially because of lockdown. I mean, tastes aside, uh, I just feel like, for example, an artist like that to make a resurgence in the pop space hmm. and without the ability to tour or to license your music in adverts or TV or film or whatever it may be, uh, it, it loses its impact. So it's here today and gone tomorrow, bam. Or at least that's, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a fan. So it's not something that I'll listen to on a daily basis, but yeah. Yeah. I just yeah, feel it's like, interesting. Like how much longer would, you know, a song like, uh, WAP by uh, by <laughs> Cardi B and Megan The Stallion that we didn't even talk about, right? Yep. How, how much more would that be of the zeitgeist if there were kind of clubs and other environments to, to kind of jam to that music to? Well, to be fair, that song seems to have done very well with TikTok and all those yes. platforms in place. Uh, so I think they've, whoever heard her marketing team is behind that, has done an excellent job at, at, at I actually, I was sitting the other day thinking, man, this is super impressive. Like to come back after not releasing music for a long period of time. I didn't like Bodak Yellow, but that seemed to do particularly well. Uh, it's very hard to to do that. And in this environment, I mean, Drake tried with the Tootsie Slide TikTok thing, and I don't think it was as successful. Uh, and and this isn't exactly a, a PG song. No. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's actually it reminded me back of the days when they used to have to make censored versions of songs. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And it's it's quite interesting to see that coming back. <laughs> yeah, I mean this one definitely. I mean I haven't, you know, kind of played it or You're not playing that in the house or the car. No, can't play that in the house or the car. And and even like with the misses was kind of like so. There's this song, um, you know, and and it's interesting. Like we had a, a really interesting conversation uh, just on you know kind of rap and the misogyny of rap, and and that might be something to to bring in, you know, kind of a guest host for us to to talk a little bit about that. You know, just kind of spitballing as as we kind of wrap up this episode. You know, that might be another kind of way to go over the next couple of episodes is bringing in you know people who do have a lot more relevance and can talk about things like misogyny in music or talk about mental health in music or talk about some of these other things that we've been touching on, you know, the, the social injustice, racial injustice movement um, as well. So, you know, maybe that might be something that, that we can kind of touch on over the next couple episodes as well. Definitely. So I think 
for everybody who has subscribed, who's wondering, whoa, I've seen another middle school episode on my iPod or my iPhone or phone for that matter. Uh, we are back and uh, we, we won't keep you waiting uh, too long moving forward. So we've got a lot of really cool content and uh, exciting things to discuss that aren't COVID related. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to get back to the studio once upon a time. Otherwise just bear with us in our exceptional quality. And um, they might be they might be COVID adjacent rather than COVID related. Very, very true. Very, <laughs> very true. Uh, I guess this has been another episode of Middle School Music. I've been one of your hosts, Farhan Lalji, and you can find me still on Twitter at Farhan Lalji. Uh, and Dario, where can the good listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter on at Dario Devet. That's with an underscore. And uh, you can also find us on Instagram it's at Middle School. Um, Otherwise, it's ciao for now and see you soon. Take care. Bye.